What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. Superpower Edition. Not the Man of Steel. Uh, no, it would probably be the Man of Neodymium. <laughs> that actually would have been cool. The Man of Neodymium. Mm-hmm. It's a good sound, right? Yeah. yeah. If I were the Joker, I'd be more scared of the Man of Neo. Not the Joker. That'd be the wrong series. Uh, uh, Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, if I were Lex Luthor, I'd definitely be scared of the man of Neodymium. Uh, how are you, sir? It's Friday. Yes, it's Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we record, it is Friday morning in New York City, a gray Friday morning. Uh, uh, that's true. It again. is not the cheeriest of uh, Friday mornings, um, yeah. but I'll take what I can get. Yeah, exactly. Um that uh, that uh, those sonorous tones are uh, emanating from Professor Matthew Stanley of New York University. Uh, how are you? Uh, how is the New York University doing? Uh, the New York University is thriving, as my children would say. Oh, um, we've just uh, announced that we're getting a new president, huh? um, our first woman president in the history of the university. So that's quite exciting. Wow. wow. Is it, is it? Do you vote for this president, or it's just forced upon you? We do not. It is forced upon me. Um, yeah. In in some abstract sense, uh, that you know, there's a search committee that chooses the candidates, and there are faculty representatives. Um, so my my opinion is heard in the same way my opinion is heard in the halls of Congress, uh, <laughs> which is to say, not at all. But but <laughs> I, I, I have great excitement about our new president. I'm sure yeah. she'll do a great job. That's very good. That's very good. Um, so, uh, I'm a Philip Shane, by the way, documentary filmmaker. I often forget to introduce myself. I just mm-hmm. try to, I just try to sneak in the back door. <laughs> Happens uh, at parties and things too. Who's yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that is absolutely true. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, <laughs> uh, our, th- our third, uh, co-host is on assignment. Uh, mm-hmm. This week, Gabby Panicia, <clears throat> virologist from uh, Rockefeller University, is uh, not with us this week. I don't know. I guess there's uh, some sort of virology. Uh, I don't want to say virology emergency. I yeah, that's that, that implies the wrong yeah. thing. That's right. Right. It's Urgent virology. virology that needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. University business, I suppose. Um, so uh, we uh, we hope to have her back next week. Um, this week, let's uh, let's get right to to our if. This week, um, we're continuing on and uh, uh, our uh, pattern, uh, newfound delight in pulling our ifs from the news, ripped from the headlines, as they say. Yeah, that's right. And um, when it's on the web, it's hard to rip from the headlines. <laughs> Copy and paste. Yeah, Control C, Control V doesn't right. quite feel like <laughs> ripping, right. right? That's right. Um, but, uh, this was a really, this is a really interesting one. Um, this was uh, an obituary 
actually, but of somebody I did not know about. Um, and so I'll, I'll just read a little bit here. The headline was, um, sorry, this is from the New York Times. And um, this, was, uh, this was published on January 19th in the New York Times. Uh, the headline, K. Alex Muller. Am I pronouncing that properly? Because there's an umlaut. Well, I don't know. This is always a problem with Americans in general. Is, <laughs> <clears throat> um, if you're in Germany, his name would be Mueller. Mueller, um, okay. But America is a country of immigrants. So we say our names however we feel like. Um, so I actually don't know how he pronounced um, his own uh, name. Right, right, right. Uh, could have been Muller. Yeah, my, my guess would be Muller's. I think that's how most Americans uh, say it. Yeah. K. Alex Muller, innovator in ceramic superconductors, dies at 95. So 95. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, his and a colleague's breakthroughs in high-temperature superconductors were honored with a Nobel Prize in physics and opened up a world of scientific possibilities. I'm just going to read a little bit here from this uh, obituary by... Dylan Loeb McLean. Uh, Dylan writes, it's rare for a scientist to receive a Nobel Prize in physics for discoveries made close to the age of 60 or for work done shortly before the prize is announced. Yeah, that is unusual. But K. Alex Muller, a Swiss physicist, was 59 when he made his breakthrough and he had to wait only 16 months before he received his Nobel Prize in 1987, sharing. Yeah, that's got to be some kind of record, actually. 16 months. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he shared it with a colleague uh, for discovering that some ceramics can be superconductors, opening up a world of scientific and practical possibilities. Um, uh, the, the University of Zurich, where Dr. Muller was once a professor and where he maintained an office after retirement, said he died in Zurich. Uh, a superconductor is a material generally black in color. Oh, in my mind, it was white. I don't know, something they said ceramic. <laughs> I imagined white. A superconductor is a material generally black in color that is able to convey electricity without resistance. A current running through it will never dissipate. Superconductors have another useful property they create powerful magnetic fields. So, um, What's a, a little background on on this, and then we'll, we'll talk about how we're going to extrapolate that into an if. Actually, sorry, what do we what what do we do now? So so people are going to see the see they're going to hear it at least mm -hmm, the right. process of creating an if live. What what in the world are they going to hear? Uh, they're going to hear us decide how we're going to tweak reality to better suit our whims. Um, so inspired by the real science going on here, um, we're gonna change it a little bit. Um, and I think in this case, well, we can talk about this uh, a little bit is right now, superconductors are still hard to, to make and, and relatively rare. Uh, so I think we're going to imagine if they're everywhere, um, we're not going to change what superconducting means. We're just going to make them a little more available. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Um, and so. Then we we uh, the, we begin the if with great ceremony because mm -hmm. if you're gonna you know we 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 want everyone you know on a on a movie set uh, before they roll the camera um, the assistant director will shout 
something like, places everybody quiet on the set, and then they'll ring a bell, which I thought was a, is a cool. Really? Oh, well, it's wow. an old old school Hollywood thing. You'll hear. Um, not so much these days, but, uh, but I think that's why we, we do, we have to play this fanfare here, uh, first to celebrate perhaps to appease the gods and hope that the, if, you know, um, doesn't kill us right away, Mm -hmm. it at least takes 45 minutes. And, um, and also just to warn everybody, get ready places, put on your goggles, safety goggles, et cetera. Um, so we, uh, welcome the if by saying, what the if? Superconductors were super available. Maybe super cheap, mm-hmm. super abundant, and super fun. But safety first. I wonder what the dangers of too much superconducting are. That like too much sugar? Uh, well, analogous, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, what in the world is a superconductor? All right. So, we should before we establish the super version, we should probably talk about the normal version. Um, so, uh, conduction is how we describe how electricity moves from one place to another. Um, so, I've got a battery here and a light over there, and I want uh, to get the light lit up. I'll take some substance, some thing, uh, and connect it between the two. And some things are good for that, and we call those good conductors. And some things are bad for that, and we call those bad conductors. Um, So good conductors are things like um, metals. Um, Bad conductors are things like you. Um, (laughs) uh, As a general rule, organic stuff is not good for conductors. So, uh, but metals are particularly good. Um, And one way to think about that is that metals have lots of uh, easily available electrons uh, and electricity is just electrons moving from place to place. So a conductor um, is good if it has lots of electrons and makes an easy road for the electrons to get from place to place. Uh, Whereas you have most of your electrons nailed down pretty tight. Um, So you're not very good as a conductor. Um, so there's the, um, and the, the total amount or the, the, we actually don't usually, um, describe the conductance of something. We usually talk about the opposite, which is its resistance. So a bad conductor has a high resistance and a good conductor has a low resistance. So generally you're on the hunt for things that have low resistance if you're interested in, in matters electrical, um, and fortunately, there's a lot of those out there. Um, copper is a super good conductor with a really low resistance, um, which is why we use vast amounts of it in, in our modern civilization. It's just really good for that. Um, there are better ones. Say gold is a really good conductor, um, but we don't use much of it for obvious reasons. Right. Um, uh, but every now and then, you'll see if, if you're in some uh, application where you really need low resistance, you'll see gold-plated connectors and such um, ah, for, for just that purpose. Right, right. Or I don't know, anyone who buys uh, video and audio cables, there's this company called Monster Cable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if they I, – I don't think they're actually gold – um, but they, they, I guess they, they try to, they're appealing to those who might think they, 
the gold would be better and mm-hmm. they charge ridiculous prices. Yeah, I think Monster is, is famous for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. having yeah. totally normal cables that they just dress up to look fancy. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, so if you want to make... Um, uh, so let's see here. So low resistance lets you put more current through, that is more electrons per second. Um, and for anything you want more electricity for, uh, you want lower resistance. Um, if you have high resistance um, and you still try to force electricity through it, a lot of that electrical power gets uh, wasted um, and it gets turned into heat specifically. Uh. Uh, so the, the usual mental image here is if you imagine uh, a hose and electricity is the water, all right? there's only so much water you can force through a given hose. And if you try to force more through, then the hose explodes or backs up or just doesn't work very well. Right. So the, the analogy is the same for electricity, um, but it gets hot. So a well-designed electrical system takes just as much electricity through it as it can without getting too hot. So as a general rule, if any electrical device starts feeling hot, that means too much electricity is running through it and you should turn it off right away um, before bad things happen. Is the heat from resistance? It is from resistance, yeah. So you can think of it as electricity is electrons hopping from atom to atom. And if they have to do a lot of work to get from atom to atom, um, then uh, that resistance generates heat. Um, right. right. Uh, kind of this kind of pushback. So that's the, in some sense, the fundamental limit of designing high power electrical systems is how much electricity you can pump through. Okay. Um, there's other tricks you can do. So, so you pick the right material. Um, and then the other basic strategy is actually just to make it bigger. Um, so again, with the analogy to the hose, if you want to get more water from place to place, you use a wider hose, um, and it works the same with electricity. If you need to get more electricity through your wire, you make your wire bigger, um, and then it can handle more electricity. So like the, the cables that, um, come right out of a power plant, which carry an enormous amount of of electricity, um, mean to be a foot wide. Right. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. I mean, they're big, right? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and you can imagine um, uh, something made of copper that's a foot wide and then miles long, right? Mm. That's an extremely heavy object. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so the idea is that the, a super, if it was a superconductor, so, so right. a superconductor is. Mm-hmm. No resistance or? Yep. So um, uh, one of the other tricks you can do with, if you want better conduction out of something, is most things will conduct electricity a little bit better if they're colder. Um, Mm. So what people like Mueller are doing in the lab a generation ago is um, (laughs) you take something that's already a good conductor and then you dump liquid nitrogen on it and make it cold and see how much the conduction improves um, as it gets a little bit colder. So you expect it um, to go linearly. That is, as as you decrease the temperature a little bit, the resistance drops a little bit too, and they kind of go together. As they, they, they go down. Um, what Mueller finds is that there are certain substances that the, the resistance doesn't slowly decrease, but when you hit a certain temperature, it suddenly drops to zero. Hmm. So it doesn't just, just get less, it just the resistance disappears completely. Wow. 
Um, and we call those uh, superconductors um, because of that, that sudden change. Uh, and that's that was quite mysterious. No one expected that to happen. That suggests very strange things going on inside um, and, of and molecular when, structures. Around when was that? Uh, let's see here. Um, so that was when I was in college. So oh, that wow. was early 90s. Wow. Early. So I'd have is, to look up the dates. Recent. And I think Mueller actually gets his... Um, well, actually, no, that's that's not quite right. I'm sorry. So, uh, so Mueller discovers the super super the knowledge of superconductors has been around for decades before that. Mm, I think mm. you said Mueller gets his Nobel in '86 or something like that. Mm. Um, what happens in college uh, when I was in college was the discovery of um, so-called high temperature superconductors, uh -huh. and by high temperature they mean like minus 30 degrees instead of minus 200 degrees. Um, <laughs> so they're not, they're not very high temperature. Yeah. Um, but it's a lot easier to get something to minus 20 degrees than it is to minus 200. Yeah. And in fact, I remember um, my, uh, the guy who was teaching the physics lab I was taking at the time uh, had been researching superconductors for, for many years uh, when this breakthrough happened. Um, and essentially the breakthrough had been what he had been trying to do for uh -oh. his entire career. Oh no. Um, and he got scooped. Uh, so I, I, I have this, this deep memory from sitting at the front of the room, kind of looking at his shoes, telling us about it. Like, yeah. And that's what I, I had hoped to be able to do, but these guys did it first. Uh -oh. It was really <laughs> the, the amount of pathos is more than you usually see in a physics lab. Yeah. Um, okay. So since that discovery um, of of high, relatively high temperature superconductors, the the goal has been a room temperature superconductor. Um, so mm -hmm. one you could have in your office um, without liquid nitrogen and such around, wow. right? Without any special apparatus. So that would be the the goal is to have something with zero electrical resistance that you can just use in any application you want. So it would seem to me that when this came out, each time one of these things was announced was a new level of, uh, you know, a new stage in this process of this discovery. Um, was there all kinds of talk about unlimited power and free that this is going to change the world? And Yeah. Um, and these were, once this, I don't know, this kind of thing happens a lot. Once it was discovered that there was anything like a high temperature superconductor, then everybody was working on it. So uh -huh. there were lots of very small improvements, right? This one superconducts at four degrees higher and this one at two degrees higher. So there was a steady stream of announcements in the news of best superconductor ever discovered. Um, uh, the problem is that they're really exotic materials. Um, they're, they have to be uh, heavily engineered, right? Copper, you dig out of the ground and you melt it and you're good to go. It's, mm. it's easy to produce. We, we literally have thousands of years of experience manipulating copper. Um, the kind of stuff that Mueller was working with um, are ceramics, um, often, um, what is, we, <laughs> that sounds kind of funny to say, they're called doped rare earth materials. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am not, the, the Mueller estate should, should listen carefully. I'm not suggesting that he was high on dope all the time. <laughs> um, but rather, when you take a material like neodymium and then add um, other stuff to it, that's, that process is called doping. Yeah. Um, and that's how you get these really, really delicate 
materials. Um, so it's really, they're really hard to work with. They're really expensive um, and not the kind of thing that you can build a power plant out of. Yeah. So um, by the way, dope, dope has come back in the lingo and the kids yeah. are using it all the time now just to mean it's cool. It's dope. Oh, as in that's dope. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I remember I, uh, when I was growing up doing, making uh, models, like model rockets, model airplanes, the glue, some, some kind of glue that you used was called dope. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. I was like, that was really weird. Um, so uh, the superconductors, yeah, so there's these rare materials. Here's a question, a super basic question. Mm-hmm. What, is, what is a ceramic? I, I have an image of a ceramic, like a bowl. Mm-hmm. plate but yeah. what what exactly makes something ceramic um let's see here uh it's carbon again carbon carbon is <laughs> just great stuff um for various obscure reasons uh carbon forms lots of different interesting structures so um it can form spheres and chains and layers um and when it forms uh large thin layers we call that clay um so the reason clay is slippery is because it's these long layers um and it turns out that interesting things happen when you get large undisturbed layers like that um and then when you heat up clay um, it turns into a more rigid form of those layers, and we call that ceramic. So mm-hmm. ceramic is really just carbon arranged in in interesting ways. Interesting. My cat is drinking out of a ceramic bowl as we speak. So oh, what that is that is a very fancy cat. Could could that bowl be a superconductor? Um, we might be able to turn it into one. Um, so we need, we need to dope it up, um, (laughs) with, (laughs) with substances (laughs) like neodymium. Um, uh, and this is, um, it's hard to, I should say it's hard to, one of the things that, that makes ceramics difficult to work with is that once they're baked, once they're in their final form, they're hard to manipulate. Um, as opposed to say copper in which whatever form it's in you can just melt it down and start working with it again. And it's pretty much Uh, the same. Um, Ceramics are kind of a one way thing, uh, which is one of the reasons they're, they're very helpful, right? So they're, um, they're waterproof because those layers of carbon are carbon and silicon are set really tight. So the water can't get through. Um, uh, it it won't break when it's heated. Um, ceramics are great. I mean, there's a sense in which, you know, they're the basis of, of civilization back in the day, um, Mm. because they can hold food and water, um, and you can make them into whatever shape you want. So without ceramics, we'd be in a bad way in terms of civilization. That's so interesting. So I like how the, 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 the answer to superconducting was always right in front of our face. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's right. And when you think about like Cro-Magnon sitting around a fire, chucking rocks into it, yeah. that's uh, essentially the same <laughs> as, as we have for superconductors, right? Amazing. Amazing. Um, <laughs> side note, I don't know if this is correct, but the uh, gigantic power lines that we see, so, uh, um, you know, running through a, Hang on those giant towers. So, mm-hmm. right, you see the huge power lines that run through the cities. Um, have, I bel- are they called, they're called insulators, maybe? Um, so, uh, an insulator is the opposite of a conductor. Uh, um, so, you want uh, insulators in between the wires and anything else. 
Right. But so the wires are ceramic. Um, they are ceramic as well, actually. Yeah, so this is, again, carbon is just so cool. Um, yeah. So depending on how you arrange the material, you can make ceramic either a really good insulator or a superconductor. Ah, okay. Okay. Depending um, on what you do to it. That's right. Yeah. And those and those differences are on a molecular level. Um, right, right. Which is really an extraordinary kind of thing, right? Yeah. So, um, all right. So here, here's the interesting thing. The ceramic, ceramic is everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, it's a room temperature superconductor. But what you're saying is the one thing, the difference between our if and the current state of reality is that you need this rare earth element rubidium rubidium what? uh i was talking about neodymium, neodymium. Um, but there's a lot yeah. there's a lot of them out there um, oh, yeah. but yeah so i think our rf has got to be just that superconductors are easy to make and cheap to produce yeah. what if these rare earth elements were not rare would that be a problem well this is kind of a weird thing they're actually not especially rare oh. um <laughs> <laughs> it's one of these badly named terms huh. um uh, but they're um, uh, they're they're tricky to um, uh, to extract in easy kinds of ways. Uh -huh. uh, so that'd be one. And I should say it's it's sometimes suggested that um, uh, it, it look it so happens that um, certain nations have big deposits of rare earth elements, uh -huh. um, which means they might be able to exert particular pressure on uh, certain high tech industries. So we'll see if that happens in the next century or so. Oh, interesting. Um, is it, uh, oh, what was I going to say? Are, are these the things that are, uh, they talk about running, we, we may run out of them and they're used in electronics? Um, we probably won't. Well, I mean, we might run out of them. <laughs> that they're, um, they're, they're kind of tough to dig out of the ground and um, process in, in the mm. way that uh, makes them useful. Okay. Uh, and I think really that's just a function of the fact that, like I said, for, we have thousands of years of experience mining copper. Um, we have decades of experience mining neodymium. So I suspect we'll get better at it. Pretty Do quick. we know if, is there something about, what I'm, I'm trying to figure out here is, um, is it possible that our if is that these elements are much easier to extract. Um, but, I mean, that would, yeah, that would be nice, but that actually won't solve it. Um, ah, we definitely ah. need some some proper hand wavium to make, because even if you have the neodymium and the ceramic, it's still extremely difficult to make um, and still only runs at minus 20 degrees. Uh, so we need a, a room temperature superconductor that's easy to make. Right, okay, so ease of, ease of manufacturing is the issue. Yeah. Um, so let's say it's, I, I think we should go full Blade Runner on this. Mm -hmm. And I like how in Blade Runner, there were, I remember one of my images I took away from the movie was the idea that there were these genetic engineers who also have ramen shops. You know, they're selling, oh, yes. ramen. <laughs> they're selling ramen <laughs> on the right. street and in the back they're manufacturing mm -hmm. eyeballs. Um, incredibly high tech things and uh, things like that. So, um, uh, they have electro, you know, electron microscopes, <laughs> all this kind of stuff. So um, let's say that uh, they can be manufactured everywhere. Um, how would that, uh, uh, what kind of shop do you imagine? I want to go buy some of these. So. 
All right. So one of the one of the nifty things you can get with superconductors is really strong magnetic fields. All right. So ah. so magnetic fields are produced by electrical currents. Anytime a current goes through something, there's a magnetic field is generated. Um, but you typically need a lot of current to make a strong electrical field um, or electromagnetic field. Um, so. Uh, that sort of limits what you can use magnetic fields for because you need to have a, a lot of electricity nearby. With superconductors, now you can generate magnetic fields that are really strong anywhere you want. Um, so, you know, you've seen the pictures of like levitating frogs and things, um, instead of that being a weird, rare thing done in the back room of a lab, now we can do it in the ramen shop, right? So, uh, maybe you're, you're going to levitate your bowl of sesame oil, um, while you're preparing your ramen. Right? <laughs> I have not seen pictures of levitating frogs. No. Oh. Uh, everybody should go do, Google this right now. Um, wow. Google levitating frog. Um, wow. <laughs> so a frog will levitate because of a magnetic field? If you crank your magnetic field high enough, um, as, as I mentioned earlier, generally organic things are not very amenable to um, electrical or magnetic manipulation because our electrons are all nailed down. Um, but if you get a strong enough field, you Whoa. can do it. <laughs> you seen it, it now. Yeah. <laughs> Now, is it is it dangerous? Um, well, no. I mean, not in the sense that the magnetic field is going to harm you. Um, oh. In the sense that your friend might crank up the field strength and shoot you through the ceiling. Sure. <laughs> right. um, wow. So this could be a there could be a, a, a this could be a, a like a at an amusement park. You could go. Yeah. That would be great, actually. Fly in a magnetic field. Um, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, speaking of amusement parks, I guess, you know, Disney has its monorail. Um, uh -huh. So we could finally have proper maglev trains everywhere um, oh, because yeah. you wouldn't need much electricity to actually start up the, the, the levitation. Right. Um, and if it's super cheap, give everybody, you know, wire in their backpacks and that'll be even easier to levitate. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind a, um, let's see here, sort of an individual conveyor maglev, right. um, where instead of needing a train, everybody just levitates on their own yeah. and zooms around yes. uh, the tracks. I think that would be great fun. It would, I could imagine a thing like, you know, the luge, <laughs> yes, that's right. The mag luge. Yeah, the mag luge. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you lay down on your back and whoosh. Um, yeah, sports wise, I think that would be, there's definitely some serious possibilities yeah. there. This would be good. Oh, yeah. Now, um, does this mean, um, is this similar to the promise of fusion, the idea of like universal, incredibly cheap power? Well, so I don't know. There's, there, I guess, there's one thing we should flag here: is that fusion produces power, right? It produces power that was not there before. What superconducting lets you do is manipulate power more efficiently. So, we, you know, the the power plant um, burns coal, and the coal spins a turbine, and the turbine spins um, a magnet which then generates electrical current. And then that electrical current moves from the power plant to a substation. Um, 
near your neighborhood and then from the substation to your home and then from your home's breaker box to your outlet and from your outlet to your converter box and from your converter box to your iPhone. And every single one of those steps loses some energy. Yeah. Mm, um, right, right. So even if all of those conversion processes are 90% efficient, which would be really good, yeah. um, when you multiply 0.9 by 0.9 by 0.9 by 0.9, um, the numbers drop pretty rapidly. Um, so we as a civilization waste a lot of energy. Mm. Um, even before we get to the point of actually using it, right? That's just getting it from place to place. Yeah. So what superconductors um, could help us with is making each of those conversion processes, instead of 90% efficient, 99.999% efficient. Mm. Um, and that means, for you know, we have to burn less coal to charge your phone, so that's cool. Um, but it also means that you can put more energy where you want it, like at the Magluge station. Yeah. Right. So yeah. right now, if you wanted to get enough energy in one place to be levitating luge riders, um, it would be prohibitively expensive and really, really difficult to do. Um, right. But with superconductors, it might be just as easy as uh, charging up your phone. And couldn't we also have, um, if I understand it correctly, the, the we could build massive solar um, power stations in the deserts, mm -hmm. let's say, and there's plenty of energy there coming in from the sun. Um, but the problem is, right now, um, you we can't get the power from the desert, let's say in the southwest of the U.S., to the northeast of the U.S. because uh, across that huge distance, too much power is lost. Right. Is that right? Yep, that's exactly right. So yeah. this could have long-term really massive consequences, as, mm. as you say, is um, because the, the idea that uh, solar panels in Arizona could charge our batteries in New York is absurd. Um, like if you just, <laughs> if, you, if you you add up the amount of electrical resistance, that's just not going to be a practical thing to do. Um, but if electrical resistance is zero, then we can have one massive power plant for the whole planet if we want, oh, right? Stick wow. it in Antarctica where nobody, or it's not going to bother anybody. Hmm. Um, and then just run the wires to Nor Norway. Uh, and you'll still have, if you still have zero resistance, um, then one meter is the same as a thousand kilometers. Wow. That's amazing. So are there, uh, is, is that at all a practical possibility in our future? In the real world? Yeah. Um, no, it's just, it's too hard to make. that's too right. The superconductors still have to be cold and they're still, hard and um, expensive to manufacture. Uh, this would actually be, a, I, I would imagine there are large numbers of people trying to get superconducting materials up to room temperature so you don't have to keep them cold mm. um, and to make them cost effective to produce. And I think it's, we're just in a incremental improvement phase of superconducting. Um, and if there's a breakthrough, that would really be an extraordinary thing. And I think the cheapness would be the question. Um, if somebody comes up a way to manufacture room, um, room temperature superconductors um, for anything close to the cost of regular copper cables, um, then that would be a, a world-changing kind of thing. Interesting. Um, 
uh, what about supercomputers? Isn't it? I feel like this is another issue. Oh, okay. Computers yeah. Get hot, so right? um, that's right. Computers do get hot. So when you think of a, a computer chip where the actual calculations occur, um, those are just like an integrated circuit is just a really small collection of wires. Okay, just really, really small, like smaller than a, a human hair. Um, uh, but those get hot too. Um, and in fact, because they're so small, they have relatively high resistance. So this is the, well, one of the, the limiting factors on how small you can make a computer chip is that the electrical resistance um, increases the smaller you get. So then the chip gets hot. Um, and at a certain point, it just won't function anymore. So if you can, um, if those tiny little wires on the integrated circuit uh, have no resistance, then they can be quite small indeed, um, and the electricity will move very fast on them. So computing speeds will increase dramatically, mm -hmm. I think. Um, uh, so Moore's law will go right out the, the window, uh -huh. as it were. Right. Uh, so that could be kind of cool. You can do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that could lead to quantum computers and things? Well, quantum computers are a different, different thing. thing entirely. Yeah, so that's yeah. right. So these would be entirely classical computers. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and what you would do with a faster computer, I guess, is up to you. Um, I don't know. You get to watch more cat videos per second than yes. we do now. I mean, that would be that well in higher resolution. Which would in be higher resolution, that's right. That's really what they're it comes still down in to. the horrible vertical format. So most of the screen is black on the left and the right. But nonetheless, it's important. Uh, um, uh, so you you wake up in the morning in superconducting world, mm -hmm. and what's your day like? Um, well, let's see here. I guess first off, um, my alarm clock is, uh, really cheap to run. <laughs> um, and maybe it is solar powered from solar panels in Arizona, um, <laughs> which is quite nice. Uh, so that means I don't have, um, uh, a giant ugly power plant outside my window. So that's, that's kind of nice actually. <laughs> I could, I could dig that. Um, and then maybe I'll, first thing I do is strap on my maglev pajamas, um, <laughs> and just float over to the bathroom because, you know, the floor is cold in the mornings and I don't yeah. want to put my feet down. Yeah. Um, and I've probably got superconducting coils underneath the floor of my house, um, so all I have to do is is turn on my personal coils, and those coils will will oh. levitate away from each other, um, and then I can just float around, kind of like Baron Harkonnen in Dune. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, into your oil bath. <laughs> into my oil bath. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's, um, I'd like to think that my electricity bill for this would be fairly low right. because the system is so efficient. Um, but if I know anything about corporate utilities, they're probably charging me just as much That's um, right. for, yeah. for yeah. less. I, I have a hard time imagining this actually increasing um, uh, consumer benefits yeah. on that. Um, but yeah. we get to do cool stuff for the same cost. So that's got to count for something, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, three cat videos at once. 
sounds pretty good. <laughs> I can go for this. Um, I suspect the, so yeah, so everyday stuff in the house, um, uh, a lot of levitation um, would be good. Uh, but I think there's probably large scale projects that we could do um, with this that are now unfeasible. Um, so one of the things you can do, like if you take an electrical engineering lab um, class, one of the things you'll do is build a really simple um, railgun in oh. which you use electrical currents and magnetic fields to shoot something, um, to accelerate it to, to high speeds. And the the tech is pretty straightforward. It's it's a clear thing to to build and to do. Um, but you need really strong magnetic fields, which means you really need um, really uh, large amounts of current, which means you need really low resistance. And in fact, the the limiting factor of most railguns um, is that they will melt um, from the current that goes through them. Ah. So all this to say is um, we can build a gigantic railgun, a gigantic electrical cannon. And what this will let us do, and this is pretty nifty, is shoot stuff into orbit. Whoa, yeah. All right. Cool. So we could do this now. It's yeah. sometimes called a mass driver as well. Yeah. Um, but it turns out that, that chemical rockets are actually more efficient than this. Um, but if electricity is essentially has is essentially free, and we can make as strong a magnetic field as we want, you can build a railgun that's a mile long, mm. and the the longer it is, um, the faster the thing will go. So if you want to send a spacecraft to Jupiter, you just build a ten mile long railgun and point it in the right direction and launch your thing. Um, and because magnetic fields are now super easy to produce and cheap, and they're powered by our solar panels in Arizona. Um, awesome. so I think weirdly, <laughs> I actually think one of the, uh, important consequences of, of easy superconducting, um, would be easier space exploration and space colonization. Um, because rockets, chemical rockets are just terrible. They're a terrible way to, to get around mm -hmm. They're They're not safe. They're difficult to use. They're slow. Um, but if we can have cheap electrical propulsion, um, then the sky's not the limit anymore. Yeah, that did. You know, one of Alistair Reynolds, uh, science fiction writer, um, mm -hmm. one of his novels, if I remember correctly, has a. Um, <clears throat> it's in. Uh, there's a rail gun that goes up the side of a mountain, mm -hmm. just to point things straight up, and you know, at the right angle. Um, I could imagine Amazon. Um, having, you know, huge fleets of these essentially uh, railgun artillery mm -hmm. uh, devices that you order something from Amazon and they just lob it to you from over the horizon, you know. Just yeah, that's right. And then and then you have a railgun on your house um, that uh, catches that. Right. Um, and it's slowed down with magnetic fields. And then you store that and that generates energy. Yeah, because um, you're taking the kinetic energy and turning it into electrical, and use that to charge your batteries, and yeah. then you use that power to fire the birthday present to your aunt yeah. as well, and that gets <laughs> caught by her. So the sky is yeah. just crisscrossing of um, uh, electromagnetically fired packages, uh, and this is actually, I should say, the, the the credit for for this particular idea of the 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 shooting capturing uh, mass driver arrangement should probably go to um, Robert Heinlein, the the sci-fi oh. writer. Oh. So this is the premise behind the classic uh, moon is the moon is a harsh mistress. Oh. Um, that a future civilization has miners on the moon, and there's electrical mass drivers there, and they they mine the moon, 
fire the 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 ore um, to the earth where it gets caught by mass drivers here. Um, and uh, the story is about a, a lunar rebellion that the, the miners rebel and discover that if they just point the mass driver not at the receiving mass driver, but at like Chicago, then they are terrifying weapons of mass destruction as well. Um, Classic Heinlein. Classic Heinlein. Uh, classic, it's classic Heinlein. It's this libertarian fantasy. Yeah. Um, I should say also a libertarian polyamorous fantasy. Um, oh, <laughs> this, wow. Um, it's, uh, I don't know, Heinlein was, was so weird sometimes. This, this crazily reactionary politics combined with really radical um, yeah. sexual mores and things. And it just, <laughs> it's, it, it's a very odd combination sometimes. So. That's funny. <laughs> um. So last last thing, what's uh, what has happened to the uh, to society around the Earth? So we're shooting things. Every, we fly anywhere in space. Mm -hmm. People are flying around in magnetic uh, pajamas. Um, the copper industry has collapsed. Huh? Um, the the rare earth mining industry is doing very well. Um, it's uh, I don't know. Maybe we finally have our flying cars. I think that would be yeah. pretty cool. Um, yeah. I, I, I think movement of both physical objects and information, um, would be radically faster. Uh, and that would be an interesting thing to, to ponder. Uh, whether, yeah, whether you think that's a good or a bad thing is something else entirely, but yeah, we'd finally have our monorails and flying cars. Um, Fine, finally, 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 that'd be fantastic. Um, I, I'd be curious to see a bumper car ride you know at the amusement park where um you can all the cars are repelling each other so mm -hmm. you know be kind of bizarre you'd have to really work on uh trying to hit somebody no that'd be a huge amount of fun actually i'd, I'd yeah. totally dig that yeah yeah cool. um well thank you thank you for this uh and uh uh shout out to um dr muller and uh his uh incredible life of discovery um and uh, we will continue this discussion uh, in our bonus extended episode uh, section, which is only for Patreon listeners. So our members, uh, members of our Patreon community um, mm -hmm. will uh, get a bonus episode um, where we will continue this. And we'll also find out a little bit more about what's happening in the world of science and uh, all things uh, Matt Stanley, what's mm -hmm. going on in the world. Always fun. Um, and uh, we'd love to hear from you there, too. So if you're not a Patreon member, first of all, if you are a Patreon member, thank you. We appreciate your support. Um, everyone else who's not a Patreon member, you can help this show if you enjoy it. Uh, and you want to help us continue to help us grow the show and even just produce it. Uh, you can find out more at patreon.com slash what the if. And uh, you can get T-shirts and mugs and uh, hoodies, all kinds of, well, all kinds of merch. With the what the if logo and all kinds of fun things there, as well as uh, tons, tons of extended episodes and all kinds of bonus content there um, for Patreon listeners only. Um, Matt, do you have anything coming up? Uh, your uh, you have a lecture coming up, um, or did that pass? Uh, yeah, no, no, it's still um, imminent. So March fifth, I think, right. um, is the uh, AAAS meeting. So come join us. Yeah. Excellent. So go to the AAAS website. Um, and uh, that's the American Academy for the Advancement. Uh, American Association for the Advancement. Association. Mm -hmm. 
It's hard to keep all the A's straight sometimes. It so. is. It is. Um, so, to, and the subject will be um, uh, how science help or how history helps us learn science. Um, why it's important for scientists to think about history. That's very cool. Check that out. Um, and uh, thank you all for listening, everyone. Uh, Matt, will you now help us uh, close out the show? This has been quite a, uh, you know, I, I'm still flying around in my uh, magnetic uh, pajamas. So how do we how do we possibly bring such an adventure to a close? Uh, well, you're uh, you're awaiting your Amazon delivery, and yeah. you see the metal canister with your hand lotion hurtling through the sky towards you. <laughs> And you're eagerly waiting to watch your superconducting mass driver to catch the package, only to look down and discover that it is unplugged, and thus it will be crashing into your house at hundreds of miles per hour. So you have no choice but to shout, What, what the Thank you all for listening. Safety first, even in your imagination. <laughs> See you next week.